0: Well, again, good morning, and uh, again, we continue uh, with our sermon series uh, for this summer, Postcards from God, Uh, where we're looking at those single chapter books of the Bible, uh, plus a few other short books, uh, some of the minor prophets in in the Old Testament, uh, other letters in the New Testament, and so far of those shortest books of the Bible, we have looked at Philemon, uh, Jonah, 2 John, 3 John, Obadiah. Today we come to the longest book of the Bible. The longest book of the entire Bible, the book of Jeremiah. Because tucked away inside is another very important postcard from God. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 uh, verses 4 to 14. And if you're Using the Bible under the chair in front of you, uh, you will find that on page 656, Jeremiah chapter 29, 4 to 14. And as you turn there, let me just briefly give you some background. So at the time, the people of Israel, and many of you are familiar with this, but they had repeatedly refused to listen to the Lord. God chose Jeremiah uh, to give the people of Israel's southern kingdom one more chance turn from your wicked ways or be exiled to Babylon. And sadly, the latter is the result. And so, in 587, 586 BC, Jerusalem was destroyed, and the elite of Jewish society uh, artisans, professionals, uh, religious, civic leaders. Uh, the elite of Jewish society was taken by force to Babylon. And the prophet Jeremiah received a word from God and wrote these exiles this letter. So we'll hear it in just a moment, but first let's pray. Uh, Lord, once again we do thank you for your word. And once again we would pray that you would help us to hear it. Uh, to hear you, to understand and to believe your word as given to us in this letter to your people. uh, That we might more fully embrace who we are as your people and also more passionately engage the world around us with your grace. Amen. So the letter to the exiles, uh, the letter of Jeremiah 29. Beginning with verse 4, hear the word of God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And this is God's word. Well, God tells the exiles three things in this letter. Make this your home. I'll bring you back home. Bless your home away from home. Make this your home, I'll bring you back home, bless your home away from home. So first God says, make this your home. And the this is Babylon. Make Babylon your home, the mighty military power that has just come and conquered you and carried you off. The dominant world power of the day, Israel, your enemy. As one of my seminary professors put it, when the nation of Israel would look at Babylon, they would see the heart of darkness. This is big, bad Babylon. The great Babylonian power has invaded Israel and destroyed Jerusalem, the city of God. And God says, Make this your home. Now, the Babylonians have an agenda. Obviously, they have killed some, but they have brought the elite to be a part of their society. Their agenda is called cultural assimilation. Become just like us. Basically, it says, you will come, you'll live among us, you'll have jobs, in fact, we'll give you good jobs, you'll adopt our ways, and eventually, you will lose your distinctiveness. And be no more problem to us, because you will be just like us. You might remember, if if you're familiar with this part of the story, the exile. Daniel, one of those exiles, Daniel and his friends, given good jobs, good education. And the whole point was to assimilate them. Cultural assimilation, become just like them. And you know, sadly, many churches are actually like that today. Uh, churches that look just like the culture. Well, the Babylonians weren't the only ones with an agenda. You see, there were others who were well aware of what the Babylonians wanted to do. And Some of those who also had an agenda were the false prophets. The false prophets of Israel also had an agenda, theirs called Cultural rejection. Withdrawal. Remain separate. In other words, don't live among them. Don't be a part of their life. Have nothing to do with those pagans. You'll become contaminated and compromised. Withdrawal. Stay detached. Now, there, there's not much said in this letter about them, but they are addressed. God denounces the false prophets and verses 8 and 9, and you can read more about uh, two of them, uh, earlier in chapter 28, Hananiah, and then later in chapter uh, uh, 29, uh, Shemaiah. But cultural rejection, withdrawal, have nothing, or at least very little to do with them. And you know, sadly, many churches today are like that too. Churches that withdraw, reject, reject. The culture, And God says, no, don't assimilate to the culture and don't reject the culture either. Rather, embrace your distinctiveness as God's people, as my people, and also at the same time engage the culture to bless it. God says, verses 5 to 7, you will find your welfare. Some shocking words from the Lord to this group of exiles. Uh, Verse 6, God says, Be who you are. Be who you are. You are my people. Don't lose your identity. Increase in number. Don't decrease here. Now get stronger and more numerous. Yes, but also... Don't lose your identity as God's people. Stand firm in your faith. Your faith that will be tested, but stand firm in it. Don't assimilate. Be who you are. Well, then back up a verse. Now, verse 5, God says, Be where you are. Be where you are. You are my people in a foreign land. And I want you to thrive there. Not merely survive, I want you to thrive as my people there. In fact, plant roots, settle in for the long haul. Invest yourselves, build houses, plant gardens. Make this your home. Don't reject it. Be where you are. And then verse 7, God says... This is what I want you to do. Bless. Bless where you are through who you are. I want you to bring good news to this place precisely because you are my people. And as you seek your own good, I want you to do so in such a way that benefits the whole of society. As one commentator says, The people of God are to use their gifts and resources in such a way that helps the whole of their local community. They are not merely to use the city for their own advancement, but rather to seek its advancement, its welfare, its well-being. Now there's more that can be said about verse 7, and we're actually going to come back to it at the very end, because it is the key verse of this passage. But for now... God tells the exiles, make this place where I have carried you, make this your home. And he also tells them something else in this letter. Second, God says, I'll bring you back home. Verses 10 to 14. For thus says the Lord, When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I'll bring you back home. You see, the exhortations in the first part of the letter are rooted in the promises of God here in the second part. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope in a future. I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place, back home. But now, do you feel the tension, the tension between these two sections of the letter? Because on the one hand... Make this your home. On the other hand, I'll bring you back home. Between two worlds. A bit bit of a tension there. So when when I was a campus minister with InterVarsity, uh, at the end of each school year, we would gather our college students uh, from throughout the Blue Ridge region, North, South Carolina, and Virginia, and we would have two weeks of chapter camp. Uh, the students from each of our campuses would come for one of those weeks, but the staff, we were there uh, for the full two weeks. And so the, the male staff, we were given a bunkhouse, and the female staff, of course, they were given a bunkhouse. And you can kind of guess what our guys' bunkhouse looked like. Uh, you know, we walk in, we drop our duffel bags, throw, you know, a sheet maybe on the mattress, a sleeping bag. By the end of at least the first week, you know, there are plenty of clothes airing out for freshness. Uh, I mean, it was basically like a locker room. Now, a few years of me doing this, I remember one year at camp. It was during the the second week of camp. And I needed to get something from one of the the female staff. And I saw her and she said, oh, why don't you come on over uh, to, to our bunkhouse. She knocked on the door, opened the door. And I was like, whoa, this is nice. I mean, there were pictures on the wall. There was nice bedding and towels and everything smelled good. I, and, and, and I remember even in the corner of one area by one of the, the bunk beds, there was a bedside table with a lamp. And I said, what, what is this? And she's like, oh, your, your place did not look like this? No, no, no. I was like, this is like a resort. And I remember she said, well, Yeah, that's because we're going to be here two weeks. So we all bring things. This is our home away from home. Now, obviously, what we're dealing with here, I mean, it's much more severe, much more intense. And so I want to look for just a moment at that word exile. It's used throughout the passage. Because you see in the New Testament, all Christians are exiles. All Christians are exiles. James 1.1, 1, 1, 1, 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, and elsewhere. And the word literally means resident alien. Resident alien. So, so you might think of someone who's from one country and resides in another. Okay, maybe like an ambassador from one country to another. She loves her home country, represents its values and priorities. Well, she also loves her home away from home. And seeks to bring good to it. And so her her citizenship is with one country. Her residence is in another. And so it is for all of us who are in Christ. Between two worlds. Of one in another. We're all exiles. Resident aliens as it were. Now, before we move on, I want you to think for just a moment about how encouraging it is to be a citizen of heaven. And that's what the, the Bible calls us, Philippians 3, 2, 3.20. How encouraging it is to be a citizen of heaven, and at the same time, how that frees you to be more fully here in a broken world. God promises I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have not abandoned you. I have not forgotten you. I will bring you back home. And I will use this trial to deepen your faith and to renew you spiritually. And in fact, I will use this trial to bless others through you as my people. And I promise, I promise I will bring you back home for I know the plans I have for you Plans to give you hope and a future. It's a great reminder that God is in control. That he hasn't forgotten you. Whatever your circumstance, he has not forgotten you. He does care and he is at work for our good. So the first thing God says is, Make this your home. The second thing God says is, I'll bring you back home. And God tells the exiles one more thing in this letter. Third, God says, bless your home away from home. I want you to bless this, your home away from home. And I referenced this earlier, that, this, that the heart of this letter is verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Or as the NIV translates it, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile, Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You too will flourish. Again, God says, I want you to bless where you are through who you are. I want you to bring good to this place precisely because you are my people. And so as you seek your own good, do it in such a way that blesses, that benefits the whole of society. As another commentator explains, if God's people concentrate on bringing peace and well being to their secular society, then they will know peace and well being through their secular society. That's what God promises. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray. To the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, it's easy for us, and there are a lot of Christians who do this. When they've lost or are losing uh, their place of power and privilege in society, uh, many take on a, a victim mentality. Uh, Continually complaining, continually uh, angry and negative. But God here says, no, don't do that. There's a better way. Biblical scholar uh, Derek Kidner writes, What emerges in the call of verse 7 is gloriously positive. A liberation from the paralyzing sullenness of inertia And self pity. It's a call to set themselves something to live for, not merely against, but to live for and something to give their captors through what they seek and what they pray. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that challenging. But I also find it encouraging. Uh, An amazing story that uh, Heather recently came across and obviously shared with me. Uh, In in World War II, when when the Japanese invaded China, there was one instance when the Japanese soldiers captured a school, uh, its children and the teachers. Now, these were Christian teachers, uh, some in their early 20s, and many of their students were missionary kids. And all of them were girl guides, girl guides being the the forerunner to Girl Scouts and what Girl Scouts are pretty much called throughout the rest of the world. So they're girl guides. And and at their internment camp, rather than give in to the paralyzing sullenness of inertia and self-pity, they wore their uniforms, they sang girl guide songs, they earned merit badges. They served one another and those around them. They used good manners with each other and with their guards. The place was changed. They blessed everyone around them. You see, they blessed where they were through who they were. They blessed their home away from home despite the pain, the suffering, the frustration, the injustice. What these girl guides did was to bring tastes of shalom to the broken world of their concentration camp. Shalom. That's that's the word used here. That's the the Hebrew word in verse 7. For welfare, uh, ESV. Peace and prosperity, NIV. And God says, seek and pray shalom. Seek and pray shalom. Now, why, why the difference in, in our English translations? Well, it's because shalom is an incredibly rich Hebrew word. Uh, it, it goes beyond any one English word or even phrase. A sh- shalom is a total... Flourishing in every dimension, socially, economically, physically, spiritually, culturally. I and mean, who doesn't want that? Uh, and, 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 and I love the way that theologian Cornelius Plantinga describes it. He writes: the webbing together, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. And as Christians, that's what we have to look forward to when God comes back to bring us home. But as we live here and we make this our home and we seek to bless it like those girl guides in World War II, we're called to bring tastes of shalom to the broken world around us. To bless this world through who we are in Christ Now, there are are many, many ways to seek shalom, to bless this, your home, away from home. Uh, You you might start by just looking out your window at home, your neighbors. Do you you know the neighbors on on your street, in your neighborhood? You know, whether it's loving and serving our next-door neighbors, uh, becoming involved in a ministry that helps people in need, beginning a prayer group for specific neighborhoods or schools, certain people groups, local problems in need becoming more aware of how the gospel shapes the way that we work and the way that we relate to other people, considering carefully, thoughtfully, how to share our faith with colleagues, family, friends, neighbors, more boldly, lovingly, joyfully. There are many ways to seek shalom, and that's what we're called to do. You see, we are called to embrace our distinctiveness in Christ, and also at the same time to engage our society with Christ. And we do so prayerfully. Did you catch that? It'd be so easy to just read over and, and to just say, oh, that one little word, that just kind of gives it the, the godliness stamp. But no, don't miss this word, pray. The word pray is so significant. God says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. You see, if you are truly praying shalom for people, then you will grow in love for them. If you are praying for God's best In their lives, your heart will be changed to love them more. Because when you think about it, you can go and do good things for other people and not love them. Not care at all about them. In fact, that happens all the time. Now, I'd rather good things be done than bad things. But if you are praying shalom for other people, you will grow in love for them. I mean, otherwise, our good deeds are merely pragmatic or obligatory. Just kind of the good things that good Christians do. And friends, we are called to something more. We are called to something way beyond mere duty. We are called into delight. The delight of being a part of participating in God's redemptive work with Him. We are called to truly love our neighbor. And and, and you know that. That's the great commandment. Love God, love neighbor. We're called to truly love our neighbor. And do you remember when Jesus expounded this on his famous Sermon on the Mount, what he said, uh, Matthew 5, 44, as Jesus is saying, yes, you are to love your neighbor, let let me uh, expand who your neighbor is, you are to love your enemies and pray, pray for those who persecute you, pray for their shalom. It's what the Jewish exiles were called to do for the Babylonians. That's what you and I are called to do for the society around us today, to pray God's best for it. But guess what? We can't. We can't do this, at least not in and of ourselves. You see, we can only grow in love like that through prayer. That's why God brings this together for us, that that prayer is where gospel and mission and love and compassion are held together. Why? Because through prayer, through prayer we are continually depending on Jesus. It's constant reliance on his indwelling spirit who empowers us to love beyond ourselves. We're called here by God to seek and pray shalom. And as we do, we do so resting in God's promises from long ago. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you hope and a future. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to send my son To seek your shalom. To love and to pray for those who were once enemies. In fact, to secure your eternal shalom on the cross. It's through his life, death, and resurrection for us. Brothers and sisters, this is what our God has done for us. And it's only through him. And his all-sufficient grace that we are truly able to love others. And thus seek and pray their shalom. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for giving yourself for us. We pray now that by the power of your spirit, you would enable us to give ourselves for others, to truly seek and pray shalom for the world around us as we await the fullness of shalom to come when you take us home. Amen.